The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nick Gregoratis, and today I'm speaking to you from a very cloudy and rainy Tucson, Arizona, which to be honest, I'm very happy about. You know, I lived in, in London, England for 10 years, and towards the end of that, I swore to myself if I never saw another cloudy or rainy day, I'd be happy. But two years of living in the desert here in Arizona cured me of that, and now I, I look forward to some cold, wet weather because uh, those summers are just so damn brutal. Today's guest is absolutely magical, a very wise, fun, interesting, and intelligent human being who drops some amazing wisdom on us. Probably the reason I enjoyed it so much is because the topic is very close to my heart and uh, it's something I'm very interested in, which will you guys will hear all about when the guest comes on. But before we get into that, I just wanted to share with you guys uh, a bit more about the mastermind group that I'm doing. We're now up to 32 members, if I'm not mistaken, and the guys in there are all really enjoying it. They're all getting a lot of value out of it and growing and developing. You know, walking the, the path to becoming your best self is often challenging and it's just far, far more enjoyable and you can do it far more quickly when you have others lifting you up and that's what that group is all about. We're all dedicated to, uh, you know, helping each other achieve success, health, well-being, and contentment. So if you're at a point in your life where you feel, you know, you want to take things to the next level, go and check out the Mastermind Group. You can find out more at liberationmentor.com forward slash mastermind. Also, my nootropic formula, BDNF, which is short for the best damn nootropic formula, is finally shipping. You know, we had a, a pre-sale about a month ago and um, it was just a little bit over a month ago. And then when COVID-19 hit, what happened is our order actually got pushed to the back of the queue at our manufacturer because people were going nuts ordering immune boosting supplements. So these big companies were putting in massive orders. And so little guys like myself and my business partner, our, our order, which is wasn't a huge amount of units, it was only um, 1,600 bottles, we got pushed to the back of the queue. So our shipment got delayed. And I'm happy to say it's finally arrived at the warehouse and it's the orders are being fulfilled. So to all of those of you who took part in the pre-order and, and had faith in us, thanks so much for your patience. It's really much appreciated. For those of you who want to try BDNF, orders are shipping now, so there's no delay at all. And what can I say other than the fact that it really is the best damn nootropic formula on the market? It's an absolutely incredible product. I would never put my name on anything that I didn't truly believe in, that I didn't know worked. And uh, this product just works. So go check it out at 100%. That's 100 and then the word percent dot health. And you can find out more about it there. So without further ado, let's dive into today's episode with my guest, Max Whittle. Enjoy. Hey, brothers. Welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm here with a very special guest today. It's Max Whittle. He is the author of Real Japanese. You guys know if you've been listening to the show for the last few months that my... Japan 
obsession is growing stronger and stronger. Mm. I told you there was going to be more Japanese themed stuff. And um, this gentleman over here is this book that I mentioned earlier, Real Japanese. It's of all the Japanese resources that I'm using to learn. It's the one that's far and away the best. And I'm so excited to have you on here today. Max, thanks for your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So let's just start at the beginning of your Japanese journey specifically. You are an Englishman who at 22 moved over to Japan. Is that correct? 22 is the first time I visited Japan. Okay. So, so I visited Japan as part of, I was traveling around the world basically at that point after university. And I spent two weeks in Japan at age 22 and I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I promised myself that I would return to live in Japan. And I, I managed to fulfill that three years later when I was 25, because right? I had to find a job and get the work permit and all that stuff. So mm -hmm. that took a little bit of time. And uh, yeah, so I actually arrived to live at age 25 and had my first trip there at age 22. And it just, I mean, it, it still, Japan still blows me away after 20 <laughs> yeah, years. It's, yeah. it's a very special place. I mean, before we even get into to you know, what, what you did there and, and what you learned there, Straight away, I'm impressed by the fact that you had a vision and you mm. went out and did it, you know, and, mm. and one of the things that I try to impress upon my clients and my friends mm. and everyone that I interact with is that life rewards the doers, right? Mm. It's the action takers. It's the people yes. who live by that motto of praxis, you know, like you, you go out and seize the day. And so many people have dreams. So mm. many people want to do stuff but so few act on it. And, and I am here to tell you, and I'm sure that you will back me up hmm. when I say that the only thing standing between you and those dreams is you, right? That's hmm. it. Like you Absolutely. just have to step up. You have to step up and take it. And, and so when I speak to someone like you, who's done that, it's just, it's very inspiring for me. And uh, I'm sure it wasn't easy, right? There were, there were points where you, you had this dream and you were kind of wavering or you, you had to dig deep to find the courage. Is that, would you say that's accurate? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think anything you want to accomplish or any dream you have, like you say, there's always going to be obstacles. Like, And it's overcoming those obstacles one by one and getting to that point is what makes it special, right? Because if there were no obstacles and if, let's say, I have a dream or I want to go to Japan the next day, the, the opportunity opens up without any effort on my part, without any you know, preparation – the satisfaction of that versus the satisfaction of having difficulties, of having, you know, to, to find the right job and to, to get the visa and to just, you know, have people like in the family say, you know, disapprove or whatever and go through those things and get to your goal, that's, that makes it so much more sweeter, right, than if it just fell in your lap. That's actually one of the reasons, um, you know, I, I talk to in my social group, we, we always talk about trust fund kids and or rich kids mm -hmm. and why they're usually so miserable. And it's precisely because of that. There's no challenge or there's always a safety net. So there's right. no real risk involved. And that's why they, a lot of them become drug addicts or just like, you know, they just can't get it right. I always used to think, I used to look at those rich kids and be like, man, that dude's got everything. Mm. He's literally got everything. It's been handed to him on a plate. Like, how can mm. he fuck up so bad? And now I get it. It's, it's precisely because of that, that he's been handed everything. So I totally agree with what you've just described. You know, there's got to be some sort of challenge for you to truly appreciate what you, what you create or what you achieve. So you're 25, you've arrived in Japan, you've got your visa, you're ready to go. Mm. I'd love for you to share 
I think this was either on that trip when you had arrived or it was your, maybe on the first trip when you were 22, but you, in your book, Real Japanese, I'm, I'm listening to the audio mm-hmm. version. The cool thing about your program is it's not just a bunch of exercises. You're telling these stories, which is helping people learn the culture of Japan. And the very first story you tell is about um, one morning you you left your little um, ryokan or your little hotel and, and you went out and you you met this Japanese little old Japanese lady on the road. I'd love for you to be able to, to relate, uh, retell that story if you don't mind, Max. I still remember that crystal clear in my mind. Okay, so that was 22. That was my first trip to Japan. Mm-hmm. And I was staying in Kyoto and I didn't speak a word of Japanese at this point. And now, now Japan, I mean, if you go into the countryside, it's still not... Uh, people don't speak a lot of English. But at that time, even in Kyoto, like there was just... I just really had to kind of find my way around and, and bumble my way around because there was no, the signs weren't in English and a lot of people did not speak English, but there I was. And of course, that, that added to the excitement, right? Because it, it makes it a little bit more special or exclusive somehow. Anyway, so I'm walking around the streets of Kyoto. This is like 6 a.m. I'd woken up early and there was a lady who was sweeping the the pavement in front of her store. It was uh, like a store slash house. They, they they have these houses in Kyoto where they, they they live there, but it's also a store, and it's a, it's like an old traditional type of house. And I was walking along the street, and she was sweeping away, like really concentrating, and you know her store and her house and the path in front of it, which is a public path. She didn't have to clean that, but she's cleaning this path with real focus and, and dedication. And as I approached her, I thought she was totally taken up by her task and not really aware of me, but she obviously was because as soon as I got within a few meters, she picked up her broom, held it in both hands, looked right at me and did this bow, this real slow bow from the waist and looked at me and said, Ohayo gozaimasu, which is good morning. And she was so graceful and so present and you know she had white hair she must have been getting on but she was still very very you know sharp and 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 physically strong and um yeah she just deeply touched me in this gaze and in this greeting she gave me i mean i really felt her warmth and her presence and coming from a culture where people kind of get in people's other people's faces a lot more and get quite close and, and make a lot of noise and hullabaloo when they greet each other, you know, gripping each other's hands. And this was not like that at all. This was like this totally different way of communicating where we maintained distance and there wasn't a lot was said or, you know, it wasn't like overly dramatic or making a lot of noise, but it was just this very graceful and purposeful, minimal communication but very deep communication and it just totally blew me away and I, I actually decided there and then I'm going to live in Japan I'm coming to live in Japan yeah, that's great so it's like, it's like a, peak, a peak experience or a pivotal moment or like where you just I, I, and then you did it which is great and to me what that conjures up is you know I'm always trying to figure out what makes Japan so special and I, I would love to get your opinion on on that but before I, I do you know for me I live my life by this motto, which is how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm. Right. And that, that for me is what I love about Japan is there's, you know, I'm a martial artist. A lot of my audience came over. I used to have a martial arts podcast and I used to be a a full-time martial arts instructor. So Mm. a lot of the guys listening to this are probably martial artists as well. And in the particular martial arts that that we train jujitsu, 
Hmm. You know, there's a, there's a correct way of doing almost everything or there's, or or everything is always being refined and everyone's always looking for the best technique and the, and the the best way to do things. And for me, I'm trying to do that in life. You know, I'm, there's, there's a technique or there's better ways of doing pretty much everything, you know, whether it be soaping your body in the shower or, you know, squatting down to pick something up off the ground or whatever it is, there's always a, a way to do it. And that's what I love about Japan is they seem to have systematized everything and created these techniques and rituals for everything. And they, you know, they move through the world. The Japanese move through the world in a very graceful, very focused manner. Not all of them, of course. I mean, but, but still it's that spirit of Japan that I absolutely love. Hmm. So I wanted to ask you, what else do you think makes Japan special? I think, I think that's kind of what you've just said is really a key underlying element to everything that's special about Japan. So there's a, there's a word that I think it's also a book now, it's called Kaizen. Mm-hmm. And it means to continually improve something, Kaizen. So it just means like to continue to refine it and improve it constantly. And I really do think that is what makes Japan so special is and I've visited, you know, many countries, maybe 40 different countries around the world. And every country, every culture has, you know, treasures of wisdom and, and, and culture and, and all kinds of beautiful assets. But Japan is really, when it comes to this concept of Kaizen or constantly improving, I think they've taken it to another level. So if you look at the food culture, if you look at obviously the martial arts, if you look at all kinds of areas in their in their culture it's just so refined and they're so into getting the details right the small things right which is comes back to what you also said that i totally agree with that how you do one thing is how you do everything and but not meaning how you do the best thing that you do is how you do everything else but more like the lowest denominator yes, how you yes. do how you do the worst thing, the sloppiest thing that you do, that's pulling everything else you, de- yes. you do down to that level, basically. And the Japanese have just, like, that really is the one biggest thing that I've learned from living in Japan and working in Japan and being with Japanese people is just, it totally uh, showed me that I was being sloppy in many things mm. and just what is possible would be to to look at every single element in my life and in my workflow and in my relationships and just look at it and say, how can I make this better? What can I do better? And I think that's the Japanese mindset that makes it so special. So just for example, if you go to a restaurant, a good restaurant in Japan, the experience you have, and I've you know eaten at um, Michelin three-star restaurants in France, and it was delicious. It was great experience. Don't get me wrong, but the Japanese restaurant just takes the service and the art of providing food and and providing space to be in to eat that food. Just to a like really three-star Michelin has nothing on a decent. Japanese restaurant and how they serve you the food, how they prepare the food and the level of just the level of subtlety and, 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 and feeling behind what they do. Like there's so much preparation. You just feel it in every single element of it. And, and I think that is really the, the magic of Japan. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you said it, especially when you described how it made you look at everything in your life and try to improve your processes and the way you approach it. I'm, I'm reading a book at the moment called 
if I'm not mistaken, it's a guide to simple living and it's written by a, a Japanese um, Zen uh, Buddhist monk. And one of the little, it's a series of tips that he gives you. And one of them is always align your shoes when you take them off. Yes. And I know that, so I started to, to pay attention to that and I'm getting better at it now, but I started to realize just how seldom I did that, you know, and I, I walk around in, firstly, I shouldn't even be walking around in the house in shoes, but as us Western barbarians haven't yet learned to take our shoes off at the front <laughs> of the door, I still do that. But now I've realized like, that's the start of everything. That's like, if I'm not aligning my shoes when I take them off, and if I'm not present when I'm doing that, how can I expect to be present when I'm doing anything else? Mm. Right. So now every now and now I'm starting to notice every now and then I look down when, when I go to put my shoes back on and I'm seeing that more often they're, they're starting to be aligned, which is a, a great, I really enjoy that. So you're 25 and you've got your visa and you're living there and you, you were, it's my understanding you were posted in quite a, a rural area with, at a school yep. to teach English. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Kagoshima. Kagoshima. So another story that you related, which I, you don't have to go into in detail, but I just found it fascinating was you were woken up at 7 a.m. by a siren mm -hmm. um, right outside your, your room. And, mm -hmm. you know, you thought there was an emergency. You went outside and realized no one was freaked out. So it clearly was an emergency. And then it, tra it transpires that that town had a siren to wake up the population. And then there was a siren to tell people that it was lunchtime and to, right. to take a rest. And then there was a siren at 6 p.m. to tell the kids to go home, home and, and get ready for dinner, which just blew my mind. I mean, is, is that something you found quite often or, or was it just in that little town? It was, well, I'll be honest, the first time that happened, it really did freak me out. Like, because I just imagine if you're just, you arrive somewhere and you're just sleeping and it's 7 a.m. And, and I wasn't, I was, now I'm an early riser, but I wasn't then. I was still it's just another element where you're, you're basically, I was sloppy. I wasn't getting up early and making the most of the day. And that's one of the things, one of the many things Japan gave me. But I'm there at 7 a.m. And literally, this is like a, a bomb siren. This is like a high-pitched, shrill, loud siren throughout the whole town. I'm, what the hell is going on? So I'm going out on my balcony and you know, people are just as if they can't hear it. So I feel, okay, it's not some kind of disaster. And my supervisor, upon questioning him, tells me this is just this is what what happens in in the country. <laughs> this is what <laughs> what people do. And yes, there's another one at twelve. There's one at three, which is have a tea break, and there's one at five for the kids to go home in that particular town. And this is still, if you go deep into the countryside, they still have these even now, but much less so in any major city. They've kind of gotten rid of this system. But in, let's say, a fishing town where my friend was living, it was 6 a.m. was the siren. And then again at 7 a.m. So it's like <laughs> it's not a place to sleep in and, and be lazy. That is, you know, not what Japan is all about. They have a saying that basically says, you know, early, early, early bird catches the worm. But it says more than that. It says something more like, you know, getting up early is worth thousands of dollars. I mean, that's a very rough translation, but it's 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 costing you to stay in bed being lazy. Basically, it's another way you could translate that. I love that. I love that. So, you know, I, I use the term, we're like talking about not taking the shoes off, saying uh, you know, we're Western barbarians. I obviously don't believe that in those, obviously a little bit harsh, but, you know, I really believe in many instances, 
in many aspects, the Japanese culture is superior to pretty much mm. any other culture I've experienced, right? However, I do understand that it's not perfect. I mean, one yes. of the flaws that yes. I've identified with it is, you know, they, they, there's this definite push to creating a wa, which is that sense of harmony through the collective, right? But yes. I think that often comes at the cost of the individual's agency and, and freedom and, and his own development. Um, and that, that was the biggest thing I identified. Um, and, and so for me, I'm, in my life, I'm trying to meet in the middle where I'm still on my own personal trip of becoming the best person I can be. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm making everything around me, including my immediate local community better. Now, in, in your opinion, um, Max, and from your experiences, what did you see about the Japanese culture that you didn't appreciate so much? Yeah, I think that is one of the major points. And, you know, I mean, coming from where I was coming from, coming from the UK and everything, it's like people really will just kind of take a hit for the team in Japan in a way that they just will not in the UK, <laughs> right? They just will not. So, and, but it, it's a double edged sword, right? So, on the plus side, what that means is everybody's going to help each other to get things done and everyone's going to pull their weight. You're not going to have people slacking and, and they will be called out for that. But the flip side is, yes, you know, it can kind of, it can kind of curtail a little bit of the individual freedom. Um, mm -hmm. But, but all in all, it's just like, for example, being part of a team working in Japan on a project, like everyone is just super laser focused on their, on their, area so let's say working in publishing which i did for a few years so you have you know the designer and illustrator and um, the editor and everyone is super laser focused you know they will do what they need to do and they get get back to the rest of the team providing their sec like just in 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 no time at all so you really have to stay on point um to keep up and in a good way that that forces you to improve right that that it kind of brings you further along your path of development, which is great. But if other people are taking emails at, uh, you know, 9, 10 p.m., doing something and then putting that back in the team folder and you're off, I want to be off then, right? I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to be accountable sure. at that point yeah. of the day. So it's finding that balance. It's definitely finding that balance that's not always easy and, one of the other things I would say is, um, and you probably know this from martial arts, they have this system of senior, junior, or senpai, kohai. And this senpai, kohai system is great for fostering humility. And basically what it means is, if you're a new member to a group, any group, a company, uh, you know, a martial arts group, uh, any kind of group whatsoever, if you're a junior member, you are basically at the beck and call of the of the more senior members so you're the one doing the, the the cleaning tasks and the most difficult tasks or the most let's say undesirable tasks you have to do that and you have to kind of answer to the senior members and that does it fosters a lot of humility it's it's it can be a really good system if the if the senior members are kind of wise or should we say kind and balanced in their worthy of their positions yeah but they, if, <laughs> if they're basically assholes and, and bullies then it, the system kind of goes wrong so for example the, the judo team i don't know if you know this but the judo team in japan had some big problems 
a few years ago. This is like the national judo team who were, you know, very strong in the Olympics, but they had some really big issues within their camp for this Kohai Senpai thing, whereby basically if, you know, something wasn't done exactly as it's supposed to be done, the Senpai were basically beating up so like you know the, the the people were showing up with serious injuries and black eyes because within this system they hadn't done what they were supposed to do so yeah there's a definitely a fine line between kind of this discipline and everyone playing their part correctly and the the consequences or the punishments that could be waiting if you don't play your part and that might sound a bit scary the vast vast majority of Japanese people and Japanese systems where they have this senior junior, they are very respectful and, and caring of the junior members. And actually they, they just foster a lot of humility and a good work ethic in them. But yeah, it can go wrong and it does go wrong as well. There's definitely both sides. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I didn't know that particular story about the judo team, but I'd, I'd heard similar ones about the martial arts in Japan. And fortunately, I never experienced that because by the time I arrived in Japan, I was a senpai. I think if I had gone there as a kohai, I would have had a very different experience of it. But I wanted to ask you, I'm, I'm currently learning Japanese. Um, mm. And the reason I, I took on this, what I've come to realize is a gargantuan task. I mean, it's mm. so mm. much more challenging you know, I learned the first writing system and then mm. they, they, they like, oh no, you've got to learn this writing system too. So then I learned that one and now they've dropped the third one on me, kanji. But I've also now just realized <laughs> that kan kanji has two different ways to be read and interpreted, which I, so now I'm at the point where I'm like, okay, this thing is, is hugely challenging. Yes. But the reason I chose to do this is because it's my understanding that well, the best analogy I've ever heard about the way about the human organism and, and the way we think is that your brain is analogous to the piece of computer hardware. And then the language that you speak is analogous to the software that that runs on that hardware. Mm. So to me, I'm always trying to, to master my mind and learn more about my mind. And I just thought to myself, well, what would give me a greater insight into the way my mind works than to install an entirely new operating system on it? Mm. And you know, that's the reason I've, I've been learning Japanese is because I know it's so good for my brain and my mind. And you, you arrived in Japan, you didn't speak any Japanese and you've subsequently mastered the language to a, a high level of proficiency. And, and now you teach it, which is, I mean, to me, I can't even imagine <laughs> like <laughs> that is so far away from where I am now that it's, it's just beyond my imagining at this point. But I guess where I'm going with this is I'd love to, to hear from you two things. It's a two-part question. Why you feel learning languages is, is healthy for the individual? And, and secondly, any tips that you can impart um, for those listening to this and or wanting to take the plunge and learn a new language? It's a big question. Um, but I, first of all, like I totally, you know, I think it's great that you're taking the challenge to learn Japanese. And because you obviously have this affinity and, and natural attraction and, and kind of resonance with the Japanese culture, like I know that is going to benefit you massively in so many different ways. I just know that. So learning languages, why? So there's many different elements that we could talk about. But if you look at neurobiology, which is one of the things I'm really into in a big way, neurobiology, I also studied that at university and um, I'm fascinated by it. And if you look at the way adults use their brain, so typically after around 30 or 35 years of age, 
most people are functioning approximately 95% of the time on basically an autopilot system. So meaning, meaning information they've already gained, skills they've already gained and mastered, and opinions and ideas they've already formulated. And they've got those all stored in a part of their brain, in the, in the rear of the brain. And basically what they're doing 95% of the time is tapping into the files they've already made. So you only have about 5% of uh, conscious slash original thought. And everyone's going to be different. This is talking about averages, but most people, as they age 30, 35, they start to hit that zone where they go predominantly autopilot in their life, mentally, and therefore emotionally, because thoughts and emotions are intimately linked. And what that means to me is you basically start living under a system of programs of autopilot actions, thoughts, and and words where you're not really intending and thinking carefully about what you're doing, but you're just kind of like going through the motions, right? And I know a lot of people experience this in, in a kind of middle chunk of life because things can get very repetitive. But if you step out of that comfort zone and take on a challenge like you have to learn Japanese or w- whatever that challenge may be, learning a different language, that's one way of starting to build new neural networks and engage parts of your brain that have been largely inactive because you've been running on autopilot as a 30-year-old as a or a 35-year-old or whatever, um, you start to fire up your engines again. And if you look at kids, one of the reasons why they're so full of energy and, and passion about things is because you're constantly getting that hit of new information, of learning, of adapting. And I believe that the brain, like the body, if it doesn't keep getting that hit, it basically kind of starts to go into a very static state. Like everyone everyone knows if you don't exercise, if you don't use your body, if you don't stay flexible and reasonably fit, those abilities are going to decrease, especially as you age. And the same with your brain, right? Exactly the same. So I would say learning a language is a great way to start using your brain in a new way in a territory that you've never gone into before. And that is going to bring a lot of stimulation and a lot of, um, yes, challenges, but also like I know that um, when you go to Japan, which I believe you're planning to do, when you go there and you, um, or you've already been, but when you go there next time and you're able to use some words that you've now mastered and some phrases, and when you're able to read some of those kanji characters, which incidentally, there's a chapter in the book about kanji, which I really recommend you you have a look at. It's, uh, it's It should be on the PDF that came with the audio book, but I basically introduce the way to kind of get stuck into the kanji characters but the satisfaction you will get from that or anybody else any listener will get from learning a new language yes that's stimulating yes that's incredible but the the real icing on the cake is when you go to that country and you actually practically use that skill for the first time and you, you nail ordering some food or whatever it is the satisfaction that your brain then gets from that then stimulates you to continue the learning and the growth process as opposed to become static. So it becomes like a, like a snowball. For sure. In fact, that's um, one of the things that I'm, you know, I have all these visions of my future, all these, these things that I'm working towards. Mm. And, and one of them is 
it's it's what motivates me every day to take out the Japanese stuff and and, and work on it is you know I've got a trip planned next year that I'm going with my brother my mm. best friend and my wife to Japan mm. and I just know the day I, I we walk into a restaurant and I speak to the the waitress or the waiter in mm. Japanese and order for everyone you know that's one of the things that just keeps me going you know that mm. puts a big smile on my face so I I totally agree and and I really appreciate what you shared about the neurobiology and and the the re reigniting the the engine you know when i started this process of learning japanese I, it was probably not the most efficient method but i just started doing just drilling basically because that's what i did a lot of in, in martial arts it's just rote repetition and i took out a, a piece of paper and i just start right i started with um hiragana and i'd start with the hiragana a and then just write that over and over again and the craziest thing or the strangest thing i found was that I started to have these memories of when I was in school learning English in the same way, mm-hmm. writing out A in English in my little workbook. And I started to have the, all these interlinked memories of the smell of the paper that I was writing mm-hmm. on and the feeling that I felt sitting in that classroom. And I realized that I was stimulating that same dormant part of my um, the language structure of my brain, which is one of the oldest or, or one of the most hardwired structures after a certain age, as you said, right? Because mm. you know, we've, we've been speaking in the same language our whole lives. And and to me, that was, that was one of the things that made it all worth it is I could feel my brain growing and developing and, and rewiring. And I really am so happy to hear that hear you confirm that. Another thing that I wanted to just share with the listeners that you've identified as well is that that positive feedback loop is that can be used not just for learning languages it can be used for any aspect of your life in which you're looking for kaizen you know with for example with my business you know I work with my clients mm. when i when i see that i'm helping them and see the difference i make to them and they give me feedback saying oh well that's really helped it inspires me to work even harder and to push mm. even more when i'm doing martial arts and i see the progress on the mat and i see that oh i'm getting better at this and someone goes oh you you've improved the way you do that. It mm. inspires me to do it even more. And so that, that positive feedback loop, if you can identify it and enter into it, it can really propel you forward. So thank you for identifying that, Max. And the second part of that question, I think you, you gave such a powerful, um, detailed explanation to the first part. I think you may have forgotten the second part. Any, any tips on language learning for those wanting to just jump in? Yeah, so language learning, I think, is it really is all about getting out of your comfort zone. So drilling is, I mean, it, it, it will work, right? But it's not going to be the most efficient way. The best thing you can possibly do is try to find a scenario, be it an exchange with a Japanese person online, which I know that's something that people do where you, you do 30 minutes of Japanese learning and 30 minutes of English learning. So you help each other out with your language learning. You can do that kind of an exchange, but if you can enter into a situation where you're actually using phrases with someone, it's so much more powerful than drilling because now it's a living tool to communicate something to another human being, and that is just so much more motivating. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, in the beginning, I mean, I was surrounded, I'm 25, right? I'm showing up in Japan, there's beautiful, beautiful women. And I cannot, in the beginning, say anything, let alone, you know, ask them to, to come for a meal with me or whatever. Like, and, and that's, you know, that is going to motivate you to want to be able to communicate. And with guys, too, I'm playing football, uh, played a lot of um, 
five-a-side, like indoor. Sucker, yeah. sucker. Yeah, sucker. <laughs> I played a lot. And I wanted to communicate with the guys I'm playing with, right? I don't just want to show up, play. I mean, that's a type of communication too. But so what I'm saying is in terms of a tip, yeah, in order to really get yourself motivated to try if you can, even if it's a, a language learning group within your area, I had a friend, a very good friend, uh, when I arrived in Japan who was American, and we would just speak Japanese with each other. And that, just for me personally, that really, I mean, I did also do the writing thing, writing words down and, and word cards and all kinds of stuff as well. But the act of actually using it with other people, I think, is is very, very powerful because that's when you really start to get that effect that we're talking about of the satisfaction of having done some work, stepped out of your comfort zone, you get that little bit of reward in terms of the satisfaction of being able to say something or have a little back and forward. So that's one thing. Another thing I would say in general about language learning is if you can, I know you, you're probably used to doing this in uh, martial arts, is that taking a moment to quiet your brain, your thinking mind, and breathe deeply before and after. Now, studies have shown that this is this works for any kind of learning, not just language learning. But if you can slow your brainwaves down a little bit, which you do anytime you breathe a little bit deeper and a little bit fuller, your brain is going to absorb information more efficiently. So, for example, in Japan, they spend you know millions and millions and millions of dollars on pounds or whatever, yen, on... Um, English classes, Eikaiwa. I mean, every town has these, you know, after work, after school classes and people go. But if you show up to any kind of language learning with high levels of adrenaline and cortisol, also known as high levels of stress, and you have stress around that learning, it's going to really bring down the efficiency. Whatever strategy you take, that is going to lower your efficiency because the brain is just simply not going to function as efficiently when you've got these high levels of stress or, you know, in terms of brainwaves, that will be like high beta brainwaves. But if you can bring your brainwaves down, which you can do very easily in like a minute or two minutes of just deep, slow breathing, you actually lower cortisol and adrenaline, even if it's just a, just a small shift, that then kind of allows the brain and the body to step into more of a absorbing mode which means that your brain waves are lower your, your adrenaline cortisol is lower and it just allows the body's and the brain's natural ability to absorb language which of course we all have because in the end every human being who can speak one language has without without uh, textbooks without classes without anything they've picked up one language just by being being in it. So if you can do that, and if you can maximize that system, you can pick up another one, I think, pretty relatively easily. But you really can't do that in a high stress mode, which is where a lot of adults spend a lot of their time, right? Sure. I think that's absolute magic advice. And funny, you mentioned about using using the language as being one of the most powerful ways of of learning it, you know, when I started this process at the beginning of the year, I kind of instinctively knew that. I mean, it's been confirmed by you and, and other teachers of mine, but I didn't really have anyone to practice with at that point. So 
I just started talking to my cat in Japanese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, fortunately he didn't start answering back. Otherwise I'd know that <laughs> I needed to get checked out. But, you know, then I've, I've now found a, a friend who doesn't live too far from me. And, and um, when I get back from a, a trip in a couple of weeks time, he and I are going to start a regular um, exchange. I'm going to teach him jujitsu and he's going to teach me Japanese. And I actually, I had the idea that it could be quite cool for us to use the martial arts training as the vehicle or the, or the yes. container for yes. the Japanese instruction. So um, I'm very, very excited about that. If Seth, if you're listening, it's going to be great fun. Max, I'm, I've truly, truly enjoyed this conversation. I think that the wisdom you've shared has been has been wonderful, and, and the, the stories that you've shared have been so interesting. As but there's also something about you that I, I picked up when I was listening to Real Japanese, and that is that you are you have a sort of a certain energy or a certain. I think it's related to your perhaps your brainwave state, but whatever it is, you're very present and you exude a, a very calming, a very good energy that I just appreciate interacting with. And I'm sure that those listening will agree. And, and I just want to thank you so much for your time. If those listening want to find out more about you or perhaps get your book, which if you want to start learning Japanese, I absolutely cannot recommend it highly enough. Where would you direct them to? So you can get, it's called Real Japanese. And if you put that in, you can get it on pretty much any platform. So it's on almost all the uh, various book platforms and audiobook platforms around the world. And yeah, Real Japanese. RealJapanese.net is my site, but there's not a lot on there. It just has some links and a little bit of some reviews and stuff. But if you search Real Japanese in whichever um, book slash audiobook um, format or company that you're used to, getting information from they will they should have it because it's pretty much on everything and i personally would say go for the audiobook because yeah i just think that's a really easy way to get into it and you can always get the kindle as well if you want to kind of check up on everything and yeah it's it's definitely you know i think the idea of my book is really a blend of learning about the culture and the language. So it's not like a focused, you know, textbook. It's really more integrating like people who want to hear more about the culture and understand the culture and hear some nice stories about experiences in Japan and pick up some really key phrases that if you are going to go to Japan are definitely going to open doors because um, if you if you go to Japan, I think this is worth saying, if you really don't have any Japanese, you can still do a lot and have a great time, but it just kind of limits the path that you're on to the well-trodden path. And if you have a few phrases up your sleeve and enough confidence to step into a place that doesn't have English menus because you know you can order something, then that is going to open up experiences in Japan that 99% of people are not having, and it's going to open doors to places where you start to really get the authentic, the real deal of Japan, which is, of course, where the magic is. It's not on the tourist trail. So true, so true. Um, besides uh, realjapanese.net, do you have Instagram or Facebook where people could follow you? I do have Facebook, yeah. So Max Max Whittle, you can find me on there pretty easily, I think. But I don't, I mean, I, I have multiple other projects so yeah i don't have a lot on the real japanese stuff is there is there any any other project i mean because i, I want to go check out your other stuff i'm sure that those listening will too is there anything else that you want to let people know about so 
I have another couple of books, both in Japanese. So I guess that wouldn't be much good for most of the listeners. <laughs> but but as it happens, this one particular book that、um, I released this year in Japan, I'm working at the moment on an English、uh, website with、uh, courses for. The same content, basically, and this content is all about breathing techniques, and it's what we kind of what we talked about. It's really all about shifting your brain waves and using physiological and neurobiological techniques to balance your brain waves. But it's not ready for release yet. It's going to be ready in probably in August. The Japanese version is ready and on sale, but that's that's not going to be much good. So, perhaps at a later date we could talk again if you're interested、sure. in delving、yeah. into those those topics. Well, man, I'm going to be literally the first person in line to get that course. So,、um, yeah, I would absolutely love to chat to you more about about、um, those particular topics and go into it in more detail. So we'll we'll leave we'll leave plugging that stuff until then. But、um, Max, thank you so much for your time. I, I truly do appreciate it. Thank you. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, man, I thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed that. I mean, you guys can hear in my voice when I'm lit up about something, and Japan really lights me up. And a little bit of background on that, you know, I started training judo when I was six or seven years old. I think I was six and a half years old, and I remember my my judo instructor. He was this old Dutch man by the name of Mister Sukkel. And he always used to test you when you'd go for a belt by asking you questions. One of the questions was, "Where was Japan invented?" And then you'd have to say Tokyo. And then you'd say, "What was the inventor's name?" And you'd say Jigoro Kano. And then you'd say, "When was it invented?" And you'd say 1882. So he'd give you this little test. And I remember back then, that's when my interest in Japan was inspired, right? Because you know I was very interested in martial arts, and I was putting together like a lot of them came from Japan and. It started this this thing in my mind, this interest, and then I remember several years later when I was in London, one of my friends,、uh, Dante, he had visited Japan before, and he said to me, "Japan is like the mecca for all martial artists. It's the spiritual home of martial arts, and you will, if you're dedicated to martial arts, you will feel a calling to go visit Japan." And I had felt he had put it into words exactly what I'd felt. I'd, I'd had this calling my whole life to visit. And I remember the first time I went, I was meeting my my then girlfriend, who's my now wife. I was going to meet her there. I was traveling somewhere, and we, we weren't kind of settled down yet. And she was living in Los Angeles, and I said to her, "Look, I'm, I'm going to Japan at the end of the year. You can meet me there." It was my first trip, and for me, I'd been someone I'd been wanting to go there my whole life. You know, since I was a little kid, I it would been on my list of places to go and see, right, right at the top of my list. And for her. <laughs> She'll tell you the same thing. Like she didn't really know anything about Japan except, you know, a little bit of pop culture, but she had zero interest in it. And but anyway, she wanted to come meet me, so she did. And we met in Japan, and and within three days of being there, she just said to me, "These are my people." <laughs> she just fell in love with the place. And the reason I'm, you know, sharing this passion of mine about Japan with you guys is not just because I love talking about it, but it's because I know that there's something there. You know, we're all on this path of kaizen, as we mentioned in, as Max mentioned in the show. And the truth is that there is there is something there that can help you if that's what you want to do with your life. If you're dedicated to being the best version of yourself, if you want to evolve and grow and become and refine yourself every day and become one percent every better every day and and you know just be that amazing person that you're capable of being, there is some wisdom. 
regarding that process waiting for you in Japan. I promise you that you'll see it when you go there, right? But you have to go and see. So I know for some of you that might a trip to Japan might seem almost impossible, but it's not. It's not. You can do anything if you want to do it badly enough. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, I'd love to do that. I have a wife and kids and job. And there's a million excuses, right? If you truly want to go, you will make it happen. And I don't just reserve that for things like travel and visiting places like Japan. I'm talking about everything in life. If you truly want it, you will make it happen. And on that note, I'll leave you guys. Until next time, keep the faith.